Talk with Ben Tompkins. How you doing, everybody? This is Real Talk. I am Ben Tompkins. We are presented by nobody currently, but these are the mixtape days. And man, oh man, am I glad to hear this episode. This episode right here is exactly what I needed to hear at this point in my life. My guy, Tim O'Neill, coming on and bringing straight heat, man. And this is somebody, you got to understand who this guy is to me. This guy is somebody that I connected with nearly a decade ago and somebody that I've looked up to from afar, connected with, stayed connected with, and really have grown as a person, both personally and professionally, because of the relationship that we've maintained over the last several years. And I'm really, really happy that after all this time, Tim comes on and connects. And dude, we go super deep. So Tim is a very important business executive and a senior seller. And he references a clip that he did on Bloomberg. And my man is money under pressure. The clip is in the show notes, the link. Go and check that out. They're doing a little stuff that's hectic during the interview. There's audio feed that's not worth it. My guy's just here like being himself like, yeah, what's up? Ask me anything you want. Like, money under pressure. We spend this episode going super deep on the sales process. Everything from prospecting and building your pipeline to setting realistic goals to building out processes and products. And on the business development side, he's gone back and forth between sales and business development. And he has navigated his way through all of these different moves that we break down. And he's learned along the way. And he shares those things that he's learn and this is just it's I'm I'm taping this intro and it's extremely late and it was it 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 took me a long time to try and find the words that do this guy justice just how much he means to me how much he's helped me and how awesome he is at what he does. And honestly, a lot of this stuff, I just became an expert in the last several hours on mobile gaming and mobile ad sales and all of these things that we're talking about, things that are like way over my head, and yet Tim does such a great job of breaking them down that even I can understand it. So if I can get it, you can get it. Today's episode is an all-timer. So you're going to hear Tim share his story from growing up in the Bay Area and how living in that tech culture and bubble, if you will, shaped his ultimate career trajectory. The moment that he stepped into the corporate world and navigating that to getting to Oracle and how his time spent there helped him figure out his sales style. And then eventually dipping his sneakers into virtual currency monetization and getting into mobile gaming, mobile advertising sales, and basically just trying to help businesses and people understand what's driving their user acquisition and how they can maximize their return on mobile advertising. This episode is fire. My guy, I cannot even begin to just like, the words, it's hard to find, man. So I'm not even going to try anymore. I cannot wait for you guys to hear this episode. This could not have come at a better time for me. I needed to hear this stuff. And especially the part about detaching yourself from the outcome with everything that's going on with me currently in my life that I've teased out and that I'm in the process of figuring out and navigating what my next moves are going to be. 
Hearing Tim share the ways that he's learned to detach himself from the outcome and learning the difference between closed and not closed, I needed to hear this. And it is no coincidence that the timing of all of this and the topics that are covered and the reason that we even met and connected in the first place was part of a bigger picture that I still don't even fully understand right now. But I know that there's a reason for it, and it was meant to be, and man, I fucking love this episode. So I cannot wait to get to this. I'm going to go ahead and toss it to this episode. And by the way, anybody that is interested in learning more about this space and the global gaming ecosystem, hit Tim up. Take him up on the offer that he makes later in this episode. Reach out to him on Twitter at Tim underscore O'Neill or his personal Instagram is at Tim O'Neill. And please, if you enjoy this episode half as much as we enjoyed making it for you, because we had a ball, you know, please take two seconds of your time and drop a quick rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. That really, really helps me out. It helps me grow this show. People look at that stuff. And thank you to everybody that's done that. But please, it takes two seconds, just really quickly. And then, hey, if you're a Spotify listener or if you've already left a review, share this episode, please, with somebody that you think should hear this or that would be interested in this. I think that everybody should hear Tim's story and the things that he shares and the things that we touch on in today's episode. This is like, dude, it's so fire that I'm done talking about how fire it is. I'm just going to let this thing run from start to finish and y'all let us know on social media at BennyTomp18 or at RealTalkWBennyT how fire you thought it was too. With all that said and without further ado... Here is my interview with Tim O'Neill. Okay, we now welcome Tim O'Neill to the show. Tim, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing well, Ben. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Good to have you, man. Out of all the people that I've been connected with in like my adult life and kind of counting college in that, we've been connected since like I think 2013 from Twitter and then I Jeez. love the fact that we've stayed connected all these years later like that. I, I don't know. I just I think that's cool. I think that's cool. Yeah. And I think we've uh, we've hung out one time, I believe, in real life, which was probably like midway of all of that. Yeah. When Coffee I was... for the, like 20 minutes turned into like 90 minutes. But <laughs> yeah, it was, it was good to have met you once upon a time for sure. My life in a nutshell over here. <laughs> <Indeed>. <laughs> Well, it's good to get you on, and throughout that time, I've seen you work for uh, a couple of different startups and different companies. I've seen you have the birth of a baby girl. I've seen you grow in, in a lot of ways. I've seen, we were talking a little bit before we started, some of this salt and pepper coming in, in the flow, and it's mm -hmm. it's just, it's good. It's it's awesome. So I'm, uh, I'm really thankful that we, we have been able to stay connected, and you bring a really cool sense of... I think what I what I always look at you for in terms of like content or if I ever had a question about anything, I would direct more tech stuff or business stuff to you. I, I think that I've done a, a pretty decent job of building a lot of different mentors and some of them are closer relationships. Other ones are, I think, just a, just a, a, a friendship from a distance like we've got. And if there's anything ever... 
uh, business related. I'm always kind of thinking like, oh, I wonder what Tim Tim's talking about about this or what he would think about this. And so I think I pull some of that from you. So we can keep this one a little bit more business minded, I guess. And um, you're a man. Tell me your official title and what you do and what you have done. But let's just start with what you do now. Jeez. Uh, yeah. Good. Th- and thanks. Uh, and I know we've, uh, so we, we've kept in touch a lot along the way. I think also it's like personal stuff too, right? Like I know, like, I think there were one or two posts of yours that I saw along the way about, uh, you know, personal journeys that you were on and uh, I'd chime in here and there and say, Hey Ben, like keep crushing it, keep getting after it, like keep chasing your dreams. So really, uh, happy to see where, where you've come from, uh, the, the, the times we talked and I know you were, uh, hustling with the the wine and the, the liquor business for a while years ago, it seems at this point. I know. Um, so who am I and what I do? So I have been in various types of sales and BD focused roles for approximately 14 or 15 years now. So I'm, I'm one of the old guys in the space, I guess you could say, but I've been, I've been working also in the mobile advertising ecosystem and specifically working and doing a lot of business with mobile game developers and app developers. So, you know, any, anytime you have a, you know, game on your device, like with your iPhone or Android, you're playing a game. Chances are I've either done business with the people that make that game, or I've, I've worked with them before in some regards. So I'm, I'm in that space. Uh, so I've always been uh, on the business side of the house. So I, I don't ever make any games myself or, or have any content, but there's a whole uh, side to that um, genre of service providers that are working with these games to help them scale, to help them make money to acquire more users, get more growth. So I've been very fortunate to be uh, along for that type of a ride. Currently, I work for a company called AppsFlyer. AppsFlyer is a uh, you know, 1,300 person company based in Tel Aviv, Israel. They provide a, uh, a measurement solution for advertisers um, that have mobile apps for them to understand where all of their users, all of their traffic is coming from, tied back to their advertising sources. So for instance, like, I know, you know, you, you, I know you do a lot with Uber, right? So like Uber is a good example of a company that has a marketing team out there that is spending dollars to acquire more audience eyeballs for that app, right? They want more people signing up, taking their first ride, even on the driver's side of the house, they want more people signing up to be drivers and increasing their inventory. Mm-hmm. So they're spending dollars across all of these different sites and channels like Facebook, Instagram, you know, sites like Google, right? So they're they they have their marketing dollars all over the place. So they would use a central technology like ours to be able to understand where they're acquiring all their users from, how their dollars are being spent, so they understand the effectiveness of the the money that they have behind that. It's kind of like if you went to a really good restaurant, right? And you just are looking around. You're like, how did everybody get in here? Like who heard about this from word of mouth? Who signed up for an email newsletter and clicked on this? You know, did somebody see a Facebook ad? If you could like know in real time, like how everybody got to where you are, that's basically what we can provide as advertisers with visibility into in terms of uh, how they acquire audiences for their mobile apps. And then do you take that information and sell it back to the company so they know where to spend their money? Or do you sell that back to people who are trying to figure out the best places that they can get the most bang for their buck? Yeah. So we have software products. We license software to these companies so they could sign up and you know have access to the different software components that we provide. So you know we give them the, uh, the ability to utilize our platforms so that they can run these campaigns and get all this visibility themselves. 
So I'm out there acquiring to, uh, you know, trying to acquire more customers for ourselves. I specifically focus on the gaming vertical for North America. So all of these free to play mobile games, as well as the real money gambling space, which is becoming uh, bigger and bigger, like sports books and lottos and mm. physical casinos that are undergoing like a digital transformation, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that falls into my patch. So Busy in the best ways possible. <laughs> as more states continue to legalize gambling, is that ha- has that been seen as like a sleeping dwarf planet or giant? As as that continues to grow in popularity, yeah, it's it's massive. I mean, a lot of a lot of those companies in those casinos saw their foot traffic more or less torched, like over the year or so with like COVID. You know, obviously the casinos are closing up, so it it, it forced a lot of these guys to start thinking about how to do business in different ways. If they had been thinking about uh, their web business or mobile, um, it, it put them in a position to where a lot of them wanted to be doing more in that regard. Um, but yeah, these days, you know, every, every it's top of mind definitely in that space. And you see it all the time. Like if you're watching uh, NFL games or NBA or something like that, there, you know, you can't get away from like the sports book ads. And uh, depending on what state you're in, you're, you're probably seeing different types of uh, advertising in that regard. So yeah, a whole lot happening for sure. Yeah, I would imagine that so many of those casinos, it's almost like, why weren't you guys offering online services for for those that weren't? Why were you not doing that? We get everything on our phone. Why would you not gamble on your phone too? Yeah, I mean, I don't have all the answers for there. I mean, part of like what I'm doing is is working with like really sharp people to understand. the nuances of their business, right? Like what are they trying to accomplish? How familiar are they with mobile or these types of, um, you know, sides of technology? Have they ever explored this before? Or is this brand new for them? There's a, a certain level of familiarity they'll eventually need to have in order to be really good at this. So, you know, I, I'm in sales technically, but part of what I'm doing is just having open-ended conversations like this, right? Right. I'm not trying to go into a call and say, hey, we're awesome. You need to buy software from us, this and that. <laughs> like we'll eventually get there, but that's usually by way of just navigating through the conversation to understand what the customer is looking for. And, um, you know, also being upfront that, hey, we're not for everybody, but like, here's how we can help businesses like yours and some of the results that we've been able to achieve. That sounds interesting. Like, let's have the next conversation. If not, like, that's cool too. But, you know, I think, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely, uh, there's a lot of those conversations happening these days. My my calendar is as slammed as has ever been. Um, Yeah. So busy in the best ways possible, as I said. What was the path that you took in order to get here? Man, that's a, yeah, that's a, I'll, I'll try to give you the the not so long version of that. So my very first job, I was a bus boy back in like, and I was a sophomore in high school. It was like 97. And uh, I was literally cleaning up after people earning shit for money. And I remember like my, my first check I ever got, I think it was like $70 for like two weeks of work. And I was like, that sucks. Like, <laughs> this isn't going to work. Um, but uh, very, very quickly, certainly, uh, you know, wanted wanted to get more into sales, sort of found myself in retail and I was working for Nike at a mall. So that was cool. Got to, uh, you know, become a, a bit of a sneakerhead back in high school. So that was fun. Um, and then ha- had a couple of retail jobs, like went to Best Buy, was selling digital cameras and home theater for a little bit, um, was working at Sprint, selling cell phones. And that, that was sort of the first foray into mobile, if you will. Right. And then. After college, 
Um, you know, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do when I grew up and kind of still am at this point, I'd say, hmm. but I, I wanted to get into more of like a, a corporate office environment. And, uh, one of the, the first roles that I had was actually working at a, a, a stem cell preservation company for expectant parents. So, uh, when a, when a baby is born, they clamp and cut the umbilical cord mm-hmm. and there's stem cells that can actually be derived from the blood in those umbilical cords that you can use a syringe for it. And that, that blood is very rich in stem cell concentration. So the company that I worked for would take these uh, syringes loaded with umbilical blood, send it to labs for processing, but that blood could be used to uh, help treat different forms of blood disorders and things like leukemia, either in children or first or second degree relatives for that kid. So I was at a company where I was in basically a, a call center, you know, just grinding away on leads, smiling and dialing, uh, you know, call 80 people today and do it by like 10 a.m. So just did that for like three years, talking to expectant moms. So uh, you talk about having your uh, ups and downs in terms of emotional <laughs> days, right? Did that for a while, danced that dance. And then uh, a couple of friends of mine at the time were getting into different sides of technology. And I actually ended up taking a job with Oracle. And that was just like, I'd say, going into the military. Uh, Dropping in there, I mean, you go through like six weeks of boot camp effectively on the sales side, Uh, just training, role-playing, getting your face kicked in nonstop. And then at the end of that, you know, six weeks, you come out, you know, a sharp piece of metal ready to attack anybody and, you know, hit the ground running on on the phones. But I quickly realized that like that particular style of company wasn't for me, like, I, w- I was literally one of a thousand people doing the exact same thing. So in our particular department, we had a building with 10 floors. Every floor had a hundred people and the cubicle farms, just like you would imagine everybody in like, you know, khaki pants and blue shirts, just smiling and dialing all day. But if I had a good or a bad day, like it wasn't really going to matter. I just didn't see like myself as being in a position to have too much impact there. Right. Mm-hmm. So just through some of the the folks that I'd become friends with and went to school with, uh, I just sort of doubled down into investing into my network and the relationships that I had. And an opportunity presented itself to join a company that was really early in virtual currency monetization on the Facebook canvas. So back when, back in like 2007, 2008 on Facebook, this, this might date me for, for some of your audience here, but back when you could like throw sheep at your friends and poke each other and before Farmville and that kind of stuff, back when Facebook was a little different than it is today. The pokes. You, oh yeah. You could buy like <laughs> virtual pokes and you actually had to spend like real money, like take out your credit card and, you know, put down 20 bucks and that converts to coins, which those <laughs> coins could then be redeemed for virtual items you could send to your friends. So I I was part of a sales team. We're basically uh, right when Facebook opened up the canvas and and people started making applications and games on Facebook. I was part of the initial sales team for a provider out there to help monetize that virtual currency. So we could go to game developers and say, hey, if you're building for Facebook and you have this currency system or if you wanted to introduce one, we have this uh, software mechanism that you could insert into your game to actually help you make money. So there was like a a, a price that they could basically uh, think about for every you know hundred or thousand players that they had for their game. So they had some expectations around for what revenue could look like. Um, that was that was very fun. That was successful. That that company was acquired a couple of months after I joined. Um, 
kind of became a, a really big part of the ad network space for uh, this one company called Ad Knowledge, which is based in Kansas City. And uh, did that for a while and um, just kind of found myself hopping around to a, a couple of companies since then. You know, in, in many of the, the places that I've been, I've, I've, I'd say about half the time I've been an individual contributor. So I'm responsible for my own bag, my own revenue lines. In many cases, I've been in positions to where I'm basically creating processes from scratch or trying to create revenue out of nothing, which has always been interesting versus like just joining a company that is established and cranking away, right? Like being on the front lines of having to figure that out, establishing who the customer profiles are, is their product market fit? How do we, you know, evolve the product over the, over the ways? How do we get more clients? Um, that kind of uh, got me to a place to where um, I ultimately ended up at some point, you know, taking a leap of faith and, and wanting to become more of a manager myself. So I've, I've worked at a company a couple of years ago called Ad Colony, where I was effectively managing their, their San Francisco office of about 36 people across like six different functions within the company. So that was a big step, right? Going from individual sales guy who's maybe managed a handful or so of people before to now being responsible for an entire team. So that, that was a lot of lessons to, to learn pretty quick, right? And kind of came with its own uh, unique set of uh, problems as well, because the, the company was in not so fantastic shape at the time. So there were some morale challenges and, and just some things happening on that side. But you definitely start to learn a lot more about uh, you know who you are as a person, how to work with other people. And since then, I've, I've done a couple of other things. I've sort of straddled the line here and there between, in some cases, being a manager and having a team of people to like evolving basically to where I am now, essentially being a, a senior seller. And uh, you know, at, at this point, not having anybody that reports to me, but sort of uh, getting back to the grind and, and the hustle of, of being in control of the sales process myself. Um, so it's been fun. It's still, you know, as, as long as I've been doing it, I still feel like I'm figuring it out, which is uh, you know, always part of remaining coachable, remaining humble. Yeah. What keeps you most interested or most passionate about gaming or mobile or software sales? What is it that you just absolutely nerd out on? So I think first and foremost, I, I think, and this cer certainly ties into how things have progressed over the last year and a half is that, you know, it's an industry that is fun first and foremost, right? And I enjoy the people, the industry. It's, I, I keep referring to it as the industry, but what's interesting is, uh, there are there's these micro communities of people that are into or, or work within the uh, the gaming ecosystem, right? There's um, a whole bunch of different companies and, and people that make games that work in marketing and are trying to acquire studios and all of that. And the industry is very incestuous. So somebody that does very well at one company might change jobs and go to a competitor or vice versa. So you see a lot of the same names popping up with uh, you know the, the different companies that are out there. And there's a finite number of them that are out there. So there's Electronic Arts, there's Activision, there's Zynga, there's King, there's, there's a bunch of these different companies, right? But like EA is going to be around in 10 years, just as they were 10 years ago. So um, you, you just become familiar with a lot of like who the players are in the space. And prior to COVID, it's a very social space to be a part of. Like there's, there's frequently game developer meetups, there's conferences where people get together and, and share best practices and 
you know, you, you spend a couple of times at just some of these conferences, you start running into the same people like all the time and you just develop friendships with them. At some point it ends up kind of feeling like high school to some degree, right? Like every, every month or every quarter, like you get together and you're like, yeah, like I remember that guy, like, how are you doing? So I, I would say that a lot of the friendships that I've built over the years are, are people that I've either worked with or, you know, done deals with, you know, customers of mine have, uh, you know, I've done so many deals at this point, like I'm on text message basis with them. Like I would be like with you or anybody else. Mm -hmm. So, so that's cool. So the, the doors to get meetings and to, to get openings at different companies, they, they open a lot more or they, they open a lot faster these days. So it's, you know, not like a traditional sort of sales role where you're just cold calling and, and trying to establish yourself. Like I've, I've been very fortunate to build a, I'd say a, a good reputation in the space. And I, I know a lot of people, but a, you know, a lot of people know me too, but not enough, or I'd be selling myself out of a job at this point, <laughs> but it's also an industry that's thriving, right? Like it's, it's one of those things to where I'm just grateful to be in games and to be in mobile because so much of the rest of the world is wrecked these days. You know, if you're in finance or travel or professional sports, right? There, there's so many different disruptions that have occurred like over the last year and a half when you take away like that, those physical or social elements of what most people do day to day. Yeah. In our world, you know, when people are home all day, what are they doing? They're in front of their devices, right? There's, there's more people on their phones and screens than like ever before. So gaming is thriving for sure. So that, that's one also to where, you know, it's, you sort of have to remind yourself that like, it's not this good, like everywhere else, you know? So it's, I think just keep being grateful of that along the way has always kept me motivated and knowing that, you know, even if I'm having a bad day, like it's a thousand times worse for so many other people. Um, so my, I always look at obstacles I'm facing or challenges I'm encountering as minuscule problems, right. Or, or things that aren't really going to wreck my day, just get up, keep going. Um, always remaining positive, no matter what. I remember hearing some of the numbers, uh, percentages of businesses that had jumped since COVID. Um, I, I can't really name any of them off the top of my head right now, but just we, we know it happened when people were spending more time on the couch at home with their phone or tablet, and then you just saw astronomical jumps in percentages of like monthly users or online sales or whatever it was. So. Do you have any clients or people that you worked with that they were like, dude, we were like about to shut the doors before COVID and then COVID actually saved us? Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, a lot of the folks that I, I've talked to, they're, they're almost, you know, like what pandemic, right? Like what, <laughs> what, what they're, you know, what world of it, right? Everything. It's great. Like, it's almost like uh, there were 30 to 50% more customers in a couple of months span. Right. So. I, I don't know specifically like how many businesses and, and games were saved by that, but certainly it, it put the wind in, in a lot of uh, gaming companies' sales to to have that happen. And obviously, it's a it's a delicate thing to talk about because there's there's so much hardship out there. And you know, again, there's a lot of people that are impacted and challenged in different ways. But again, just always keeping that in mind and and knowing that hey, like hopefully. Is, is, I know it can sound kind of corny, but like if we can help companies like gaming companies produce better quality products and acquire more customers and do well, like ultimately that can translate on the other side of that screen to somebody else having, you know, a form of entertainment to maybe make their day or to, to take their mind off of what they're encountering. Right. So sure. Something I, I think about from time to time too. Are you a gamer yourself? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, what's funny is, uh, so I, I grew up on, you know, Nintendo, Game Boy, Sega, Super Nintendo, all that kind of stuff. Uh, played a, a good amount of it through college. Um, less so in the last couple of years, although I, I will say I'm a, a diehard Fortnite player. So I, I play a ridiculous amount of that. But what's funny is when I was in like, I think early high school, I was playing something and, and my stepdad at the time was like, you know, if you spend as much time studying and, and doing math and all that stuff as you do making video games, like you'd be in a probably much better shape than I was. I, I wasn't, you know, in the best spot in terms of my grades at the time. But now like these days, you know, I'm deep into games and I'm, I'm still in the space and doing well for myself. So I always bring that back. Like, remember that? <laughs> Who was right? Who knew what they were doing? You know? Yeah, exactly. Actually, there's one there was one like totally random thing that happened like maybe five years ago to where the company that I worked for, um, like something had, there was some sort of like, um, like revenue announcement in the space. Or I think there was, it was a gaming company that was like just announcing like their quarterly results. And our company got, uh, contacted to see if some like our, our CEO was getting requested to go on Bloomberg, like TV. Mm-hmm. And like, he couldn't make it. And like last minute, like I got tasked to do it. So like, with maybe two hours notice, like I had to go get cleaned up and like make my way down to Bloomberg. But then I was, I was on TV talking about games and um, I actually have the clip. I think it's saved somewhere on my LinkedIn profile, but I remember sending that to my parents and like, Hey, look, you, your boy made it I'm on TV <laughs> talking about games. So that was funny. Very nice. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think it, I think it speaks to um, the impact that parents can have when they tell their kids, Hey, cut it out get serious about this. And I think it speaks to, Sometimes, just I, I think my takeaway from that would be, don't ever let anybody tell you that what you're doing can't be what you end up doing for the rest of your life, or can't be supremely profitable, or just can't bring you happiness. And that you can actually carve a life out of doing it. Because if if I know if if I listen to some of those people, or if you would listen to some of those people that said, "Well, there's no future in this," or "Don't waste your time doing that," or "Get a real job," or any of that stuff, it's like, you know, just because their lack of curiosity or their lack of interest in this stuff it it doesn't define what is possible for me and then yeah man then you're on bloomberg tv you're like look who look who was right yeah if i think that if if people are fortunate to be able to you know find a, a passion or interest that they have and sort of maneuver that into a position to where you can make uh, an income for yourself and and do well and you know, fortunately build a career out of it. Like, you know, with, um, like I, I was just fortunate enough to, again, find myself in a position to where I can lean in on, on games and, you know, be as valuable as possible in that regard. But I think you got to love what you do to be truly good at it. Right. You yeah. can't really fake it. That, that stuff's going to come out, um, over the couple of years, or you're going to be lying to yourself. That's why you get so many people that, you know, hate what they do or aren't really into it, or you know, don't want to go to work on Mondays. Like, as corny as it sounds, like I look forward to to starting the week, right? Like I can't wait to get after it sometimes, just because I I, like, I love this stuff. Like I, I could nerd out about games with uh, you know most people all day. So if I'm if I got an hour with an executive and we're talking about like something that's in soft launch, like I get excited like hearing about that because I know that it's probably something I want to check out as as a as a player myself. Do you think it was easier to to go that path, and do you think you would have faced as much? or as little, I guess, outside noise, not having grown up in the tech capital of the world, 
if you had been somebody that was interested in writing code or getting into mobile apps or gaming that lived in like Wichita, Kansas or something, do you think that those outside forces would have spoken more loudly to you? Or do you think that no matter what, you would have been like, this is what I'm going to do and I don't care who thinks it's stupid? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously where I've grown up and what I've been into has has absolutely played a part in where I've uh, gotten to today. Like if I was in, I don't know, middle of Idaho or something like that, like I don't really know what the startup community is like out there, right? <laughs> so like are, are, are the tools, are those communities even available? Like if somebody's really interested in gaming, like when they turn off the game, like what's outside the door? Like is, is that environment even out there? Do they have people that they can go talk to or meet up with or, or share those types of ideas or, or foster that kind of community? I have no idea, but I'm biased in that regard, right? Having grown up in, in this time and, and being in the San Francisco Bay Area and, and having friends that have also gotten into tech, you, you certainly just are pulled into the orbit of uh, really good people and, and sharp people that are doing cool things. So, you know, if like in San Francisco, like I don't know how it is these days because I, you know, I haven't been into the city in a while, but a couple of years ago, like you could be spoiled. You just go to something like meetup.com and just type in like, game developer meetup or something like that. And you might have like 30 different events, like in a week and you just, uh, you know, fill your, fill your evening and go hang out and go meet people and listen. And people are sharing code and talking about projects. And there, there's a couple of people I know that, you know, in their early twenties, they would go to these things because they didn't want to spend money on like dinner. And that, you know, a lot of, a lot of times these places will have like free food available. <laughs> so they're just like, Oh, I'm just going to go have dinner somewhere and do this. Um, but yeah, def definitely like being in the area and, and having exposure and access to those types of events, but also those types of people. Um, I, I wouldn't be where I am today without that, that type of experience. Meetup's great, man. That was one of the first things. I had never even heard of it before I moved out to the Bay Area. And then here I am trying to figure out how I can meet people that are interested in some of the same stuff that I am ends up being the way that I found and got linked up with the flag football group that became like oh, really? a thing I did every single Saturday. And now being in Kentucky, I'll look at something like a meetup and I still have the app on my phone and there's like hardly, they, there's some groups, but not near as many as, as that are available in bigger cities. And I just, I think I, I miss that element of being in a place where you don't have to tell somebody what meetup is. They, they're they just like, yeah. oh yeah, that's how I found like my wife. You know, we went to an event and then boom, we, we just, it was love at first sight. It was like, oh, that's pretty cool, man. Yeah, and like in some places it might be like putting up flyers like in a coffee shop and have people do the little tear off tags about like, you know, meet up here, there, this date, right? But, uh, or in that case, like if you use something like meetup and there's nothing in the area, then it's almost, it's like on you to be able to create the first one, right? And maybe there's other people out there looking for it. So there's also ways to, to drum up that type of interest. But, you know, sometimes you can't force feed that type of culture in, in certain areas. Like again, in, in SF, people are face down in their phones all day and, and talking about these things and ideas and what they're working on and who's building what. So it's just part of the culture that uh, you, you can't help but bump into, like no matter where you go. In fact, like uh, when you and I met up in person a couple of years ago, we, we did it in South Park, San Francisco. There's like probably three different coffee shops, like all around there. And by just hanging out in the park, like you can overhear so many of these types of conversations. And, you know, if you just want to like comment on something or congratulate a person on their funding round that they're announcing, it's, it's, you can, you can find like any of those conversations and just uh, meet people that way. So it's, it's always interesting how that can bring people together. 
Yeah, and I think when we sat down, you ended up connecting me with uh, a guy that you've been close with for a while, Race Johnson. And when he told me about the opportunity, um, man, there was just so much stuff that was just going over my head. I, I, I'm sure that they ended up finding the right person, but I think I think there's a lot of skills that I bring to the table, but then there's also just like basic knowledge stuff that somebody's going to have an advantage. And that's the reason that I never, ever tried to stay there and go for maybe a tech job is just because... I don't love it as much as other people, and that lack of passion is going to be what decides somebody else who's willing to stay in the trenches and get a job done or continue and persist and want to learn what they don't know, whereas me, I'm, I'm just like, you know, I'd rather take that energy and put that somewhere else, but I do appreciate when, when, uh, when, when you connected us. That was pretty cool. Sure. Yeah. And a couple of things based on that, you know, sometimes just getting in is the hardest part, right? Like if, and so sometimes like getting that warm referral or introduction, like gets you ahead of the door that like, maybe you didn't even know existed for a while. Right. Like, uh, so that, that's, I'd say definitely like getting in to the space that I'm in was, would probably be the toughest thing now. Um, but it's not impossible, right. It's just about connecting and actually I'll throw it out there for anybody listening that's like, is curious about how to get into game space like happy to provide any guidance or, or feedback that i can or you know resources that would be helpful for anybody like looking for that stuff um there's a lot out there and um to your point about passion and all that like say, same thing can go i mean like we've talked about this already but especially in sales right like it takes a, a certain kind of person to just want to grind and want to chase revenue and quota and be willing to get back up after every time you hear no and just keep on moving, right? Versus like somebody who's not performance driven and doesn't have commission that they're trying to hit and gets paid the same no matter what, like whether they phone it in or they give their all. Yeah. Um, I think personally, like I, I couldn't imagine like being in a role to where I didn't have some sort of like variable component sort of hanging over me being that incentive just keeps me going. Just uh, it's, it's a way to remain competitive like while you're an adult uh, when you're not like getting banged up in sports all the time. <laughs> How do you handle no and how do you handle rejection when you face it? And let's let's put it in terms of let's say you've been working a lead and you are almost positive that it's going to go your way. You guys are like the client keeps on telling you, yeah, we're, we're close, we're close, we're close. And then they just ghost you. How do you pick yourself back up from that? Yeah, well, I would say first and foremost, I, I detach from the outcome. So for me, it's not closed until it's closed. So I, I've just gotten used to over the years. You know, if somebody says like, oh yeah, this, this is going to happen. Like, well, you know, we'll get it done next month or whatever. Like, can't wait to get started. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, let's keep it going. But I, I never try to get too excited about that stuff because uh, A, like, you know, maybe you start to lose a little bit of leverage. They can tell like you really want the deal and they, they smell your commission breath, if you will. Right. <laughs> so sometimes they, they can use that against you. But I think um, you have to detach from the outcome and be okay with losing the deal. Right. You want the deal, but you don't need the deal even if you need the deal, like you, you have to sort of operate from that mentality um, that you, you're operating from like a, an abundance mindset, right? Like there's, there's so much opportunity out there. Just try to get myself in front of as many people as possible that I can help. Um, so I actually probably have more trouble like being jazzed about a deal. I do close because I'm like, <laughs> I'm disqualifying myself so often, right? Like, okay, it came in cool. Like, but what's next, right? Like, what am I going to close next quarter? Yeah. Um, so th I guess that's something I got to work on, but yeah, I, I try not to, if, you know, if, I, I would say, you know, if somebody says, Hey, it's not going to happen to him, like, let's talk again, or let's, you know, not talk at all. Like maybe I lost to a competitor. 
like first and foremost, I'll, I'll just thank them. And, but then also use that an opportunity um, to figure out why. So I'll just ask them, like, I'm curious, like, what could I have done differently to earn your business? Um, and just say something like, you know, I know you're incredibly busy, any kind of feedback you're, you're able to share, it would be super helpful. Mm-hmm. And then I just shut up and leave it at that. Or I might drop like a PS that says like, you know, PS, like mind if I check in in like four to five months. And then from there, like, I just stop. I'm not going to be like a pesky salesperson, but I'll remain in touch. You know, if, if I lost a deal or if the timing was off, I'll, I'll stay in touch, but I'll, I've, I've had a boss or two over the years that have said like, if you're either winning or you're learning. So if I'm not winning, then I'm at least going to use that as an opportunity to learn and figure out like how I could have won. Um, so that, that's usually how I'm approaching those types of conversations. Now, and those notes are those things that you send as they're letting you know the bad news, or is that kind of a, uh, a, a week or two out where you kind of just let it ride and then say, hey, do you mind if I come and check back in with you or send that, hey, could I get some of that feedback if you're willing to share that? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll send it as soon as I hear from them. So if I got, you know, an email this morning in my inbox saying like, Hey Tim, the deal's off. It's not happening. Like I'll follow up immediately and say, Hey, thanks for the heads up. Like that's unfortunate, but you know, I respect your, your business and you guys got to do what's ultimately right for you. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious, like, what could I have done differently? Like, did I totally blow it or was pricing off or, and then sometimes by just asking those types of questions, like the deal might be back on, or, if, you know, if, if the deal's not totally done, maybe timing is off, they might just say, like, oh, yeah, like, we're still interested, but just right now doesn't work. Cool. So, like, let's work towards the, you know, when when does it work? When's, when's the anticipated date? And we try to work backwards, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we can lock that in. But again, it's just, I think it comes with just being uh, in a place to where you can build a good rapport with the people that you're trying to do business with and having the open expectation or the having it be okay for them to tell, you no, but to also like be confident enough to ask why or why not. Right. To, d- to dig a little bit deeper and, and to try to peel back the layers. So if somebody says, Oh no, the deal's not happening. Don't just like delete the email and don't, don't talk to them. I'd say that's probably the worst thing you could do. How important would you say that personal relationships and having at least just, you might not be like buddy, buddy, but just a familiarity with somebody helps you when you're trying to close a deal or even just get information about why things went sour or where things are at? Yeah, I'd say it's it's probably at the top of, uh, of, the, of the attributes that you want to have, right? The relationship is everything. I'd say these days, you know, technology is everywhere and there's a whole bunch of ways to like automate sales. Like you can put together like entire email sequences of like, you know, email one through 10 with different follow-up parameters in between. So you could like basically just take somebody's email address, hit go and have a whole like follow-up flow where like the, the technology is basically doing all the work for you. And like on the other side of it, some customers getting peppered with your name and your emails and there's no personality there. I, I like to try to take the approach to, to humanize as much of that as possible. And to, to, again, just try to stand out by building a, a strong relationship with the people that I'm going to do business with for a couple of reasons, but I'd say on, you know, in, in the companies that I've worked at and what I do today, it's not a boxed product, right? I'm, I'm not a, a cashier. Like I'm not just going to sell them one thing and then I'll never talk to them again. Like with in gaming specifically, like I mentioned earlier, companies like EA and those large uh, organizations, they're going to be around and they're always going to put out new games and new updates to those games. Mm-hmm. So if I can win a deal now or be in a position to where I'm being considered for one later on, 
um, that's awesome for me, right? Like I, I always want to be, try to be top of mind. So maybe I have a customer that has been working with me for five years. They know I'm going to take care of them. Sometimes, uh, things aren't going to work, but they know I have their back and I'm, I'm willing to help out like the companies and the people that I I've done business with, they value that, right? They, they know that, um, it's not always just talking about how awesome your features are, what your dashboard looks like, but it's the level of support and service that they're going to get when things aren't so good. Right. So when I get on conversations, I I sometimes will just throw that out there. Like, Hey, like if you're talking to us, I know you're talking to our competitors and they're saying all these different things. And like, for the most part, what they're saying is right. But like, here's what they're not going to do. Like they're not going to have your back when this happens or like we we've seen X occur and like, here's how we've helped out. Right. I feel like just giving people that reassurance that, um, you know, things are likely to have, you know, you're, you're, there's going to be some challenges ahead, but like, we're going to be with you, like, no matter what, I feel like it, it goes a long way. Um, and that stuff uh, builds upon itself, right? You, you have con- compound interest of the, the relationships that you build over time. So undoubtedly, like if uh, somebody that I'm trying to do a deal with, maybe their primary point of contact, like if they get hired somewhere else and they're in a position to where they need to consider a service or product like I have, if I've left my mark on them, then again, hopefully, you know, that's when I start getting some inbound leads or some referrals that way. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, I, I worked with Tim like two years ago, you know, let, let's call him up and see what we can do together now. Right. That, that's, that's happened a lot over the years and, and more so over the last couple of years as uh, just things have continued to progress. When you were talking about getting too excited about deals, I, I always, it's funny before I even ever got into sales, so much of what I knew about sales was from the movie Tommy boy. So when he's in that diner scene and he's talking about Jojo, the little Indian circus boy and the pretty new pet, and he's got the role, he's like, yeah, yeah. but it's, you know, and I think especially for me, I would get, I would get really emotionally invested just feeling like, okay, I've never really considered this for myself, but now I think I'm going to do good. I think they're going to be happy. I think I'm going to be happy. I think my bosses are going to be happy. And then for whatever reason, if it didn't work out, especially in the beginning, you're just living and dying by all of those yeses and nos. And as I've gotten older and into sales, I guess you could really say, I could, I could really say I've just become more jaded to it. I think, and, and that's the, when you're like talking I'm about jaded, jaded to what specifically just the runaround, the runaround, yeah, the, the games you got to play the, the dance you have to dance, right? Yes. Yeah. So many mind yeah. games and so many people that are, and I don't know why they do it. it. I would so much rather someone just be like, you know what? No, like we don't like you or we don't want to buy this or we think that your product or your service is shit rather than be like, oh yeah, yeah, we're on board, we're on board, we're on board, we're, you know, and then give you that and then just like t- it falls through and you're just like, what was what was all of that? What was the point of that? Yeah, it was just like a charade. It's like so much wasted time, right? <laughs> like it's, uh, I remember being on like a, a pipeline call one time and was like, you know, we're, we're, we're going to get the, like, we, we almost had this deal. And my boss was like, well, when did you have it? Like it, it never was signed. You never had it. Like, so why, why did you make up this reality in your mind to where it was already done? And I think just when you think of uh sales and like the binary form like that, it's either closed or it's not closed. And if it's not closed, like all of these different milestones and things need to happen. Right. Because if, if, if the contract isn't signed, it's not done even up until the 11th hour. Uh, the, there's always something that could throw it off, right? Like the, the CFO could squash your deal at the end of the quarter. 
and say, yeah, we're not going to, we're not going to do that now. Let's talk in six months. Right. Yeah. Or uh, this person that you're, uh, you know, trying to get to sign the deal might be using that as leverage internally to like get themselves a promotion or, you know, you, you never know. There's, there's so many different things at play, so many different uh, variables. So it's a, it, it's like chess, right? I'm, I almost think of like, when I'm talking to a customer, I visualize the end result where they're, a customer of mine and there's a signed contract, but understanding that like there's a decision tree of sorts that needs to happen. It's almost like one of those like choose your own adventure type books from like way back. Right. (laughs) And depending on like what question you ask or what path you take, your mission might be over like early, or, you know, you might continue down some sort of like convoluted uh, path, but you make it out on the other end and like, Holy shit, like this deal actually happened. Like how did that happen? But like trying to just uh, figure out, those paths over time, uh, there's no shortcut for that, right? You just, you need to have skin in the game. You need to have the at-bats. You need to just practice over and over and you're going to lose a lot, but like occasionally you're going to win or you're going to, you're going to think like, oh, we're close to winning. And then the deal comes in. You're like, wow, how did that happen? (laughs) But I think that that's always just uh, for me, interesting that like, if I visualize like this person can be a customer, now how do I figure it out? Like what, what, what do they need to you know, show what's like their personal value in winning this, like what's in it for them and how does the company look good? How does this person look good? How are they compensated or motivated? Sometimes if you figure out those things, like what incentivizes this person to do this deal at all? Like why is it meaningful for them? Asking those types of questions is really interesting. Cause again, most people are just going to go in there and I'm just going to try to sell you as hard as I can because I'm awesome. And what I'm selling is number one and you know, this and that, but then you're, you're, totally missing the point because it's, it's never about you. It's about what you can do for somebody else and like the value that they're going to get out of it. Yeah. And sales itself is like the exchange of one perceived value for a greater perceived value. So you have to understand like what that value is and perceived meaning, you know, it, it might not, not always be real for, from them to you or from you to them. You just have to find that balance. You have to dance that dance as we've talked about. I think finding those personal motivators and the incentive that 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 drives someone's decisions or at least influences the way that they behave is is at the key of it. I mean, that was like the whole takeaway from Inception, the movie with Leo and, and Christopher Nolan, is that he, the 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 business guy, their his competitor, is trying to figure out how to disrupt that father and son and and what lies at the heart of that. And when they finally figure that out, that's how they get in there. That's what they're trying to extract. I think so much of it does boil down to trying to understand what the other guy or girl is thinking and what, I guess, how... Yeah, how how you can bring the most value in a deal that's not just going to be good for you and then you run off and you hit your number and then great, but... How can both of you win? And finding that place of being mutually beneficial, I think, is is one of the most important things about sales. I think also when it comes to like prospecting, like there's some people that take the approach like, oh, I'm just going to do some like blanket search for prospects that I think are a fit, and then just you know send an email to all of them, maybe like to 500 people, and it's not targeted, it's very general, and they're going to get a lot of rejections, or you know people aren't going to open their emails or that kind of thing. But if you take more of like you know, versus if you take that shotgun spray and pray approach, it's going to be, you know, as effective as it, as it possibly can be. But if you take the time and you take more of like a sniper approach, right? Like you, you're going to shoot fewer times, but you're going to 
hit more headshots essentially, right? That's the gamer and me talking about that stuff. But, <laughs> but, the, but the quality of those people that you can connect with could be exponentially greater than, you know, hitting, you know, maybe 10 times as many people. If you target and you, you spend your time customizing the message, trying to figure out who's who, understanding how the organization works, applying different elements of, of knowledge or a warm introduction from the right person. Like there's so many of those other things at play that you can sometimes use to your advantage. Let's talk about the power of networking. And I was having this conversation with somebody else where we were kind of both agreeing that there's there's a necessary part of networking and there's like a right way to do it, which is really based upon just meeting people and making genuine connections and then staying connected with that person, either through text or email or social media or whatever. And then later on down the line thinking, oh, here's an opportunity and I know this person or I can connect these people, these two people should talk. And then it's like you're serving others. And I think that's that's really the way to do networking. But then there's the other end of networking that I think so many people, when they think about networking, they start to do it like this, where if you've ever been in a room with a name tag on and you're having a conversation with somebody and they're just looking over your shoulder, they can't wait to see who's coming next. Or even <laughs> when you think about it digitally and if you get somebody that reaches out to you on LinkedIn to connect but they don't send you anything in their invite or they don't even send a message, they just they just send you a random connection. Like it, To me, it, it creates that same feeling where it's like, oh, I'm clearly just a number to you and you're just trying to build, otherwise you would have sent a note like, hey, here's the reason that I thought it would be cool to connect. Like, what do you do? Like any of that stuff. That's the personal touch. I think is is such a key component to quote unquote networking. And I think there are a lot of people that just don't understand that part of it. Right. I, I, I'd agree. I'd say that that's one way to to stand out. And people don't do it because it's it's easy to just hit send. Right. Like it's challenging or it takes a little bit more time to think of something meaningful or to get creative. But I think therein lies the uh, the secret sauce. Right. Um, if you can make it meaningful and impactful and, and custom tailored to that person and have it be contextually relevant for what they're doing or what's happening in their lives, like all the better. Right. And I think also to your point about like in-person networking, like when I, when I was first doing that, like a decade or so ago, like that was tough, right? Like I worked for a boss at one point that was like, you know, at the, at the end of this evening, I, I want you to have like 20 unique business cards, like no matter what, hmm. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> like, all right, shit. And then, then I know, like, in my mind, like, I just got to go out and I got to try to talk to everybody just to get these business cards. Like, it, that was my goal. Like, didn't even matter who I talked to. Like, hey, you got a business card? Let me get, let me get <laughs> like, I just need it for my boss. But then, like, over over time, you, you just start to realize that, that, you know, you start to rub people the wrong way or you just start to have that, like, weird sort of salesy vibe, right? And that's very off-putting. People don't want to talk to you and you just come off as being a pest or annoying. So, like, something that, became pretty evident pretty quick is when you go to those things, like just genuinely be interested in anybody else. Like try not to talk about yourself at all. Like try that, right? Like go yeah. up to somebody and just ask like, what brings you out? Like, what are you up to? And just ask them a bunch of questions and like, try not to say anything about yourself. And I think through that kind of conversation, if you're interesting enough, or if, if you ask good questions and they become uniquely interested in you, then they're like, Hey, so what do you do? Like we've talked about sports and this and why we're out tonight, but like, what, what do you have going on? Then they, they, they actually want to hear. Yeah, You've basically earned maybe 20 to 40 seconds to say who you are and what you do. And you leave it at that. And if there's, at least for me, like if I do that, somebody might say, oh, we already have a partner. And I'll be like, that's cool. 
let's go get another drink or, you know, something like that. Or, you know, if there is an opportunity, they might say, Oh, you know, we've been thinking about, you know, the things that you guys do, like, can we talk next week? Like, yeah, absolutely. So there's different ways that that can go, but I think uh, just not using more pull than push, if you will. Right. That you don't want to be too pushy, but you want to draw people in and you do that by not coming at them guns blazing, like trying to stuff software down their throat or, you know, <laughs> like that. Not, not trying to just take the business card out of their pocket. Yeah. And to your point about like social media and all that, like it's digital networking, if you will. Like, yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, I found that that LinkedIn is is obviously the go-to for that type of thing. I, I've also begun in recent weeks, like trying to do more like thought leadership stuff. So if there's something notable that happens in our industry, like I won't post necessarily about like who we are and what we do, but I'll just offer like my two cents on like something that happened. Then I'll see that that sort of draws in uh, conversation and gets people talking. So again, over time, you do that enough, people start to see you as like somebody that has, uh, you know, solid thoughts or is open to having creative dialogue or conversations about different things. You, again, you are detaching from the outcome, right? Like I'm not trying to sell anything, but I'm trying to get people to know that, um, you know, I'm, I'm committed and in investing to uh, in, invested in the, these ideas and these concepts that are uh, drawing in conversation or, you know, even something like Instagram, right? Like I, I'm, I, I follow a couple of people where, I would love to do business with them. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if they're necessarily in a place to, to need or want my business at the moment, but I get them engaging on my content. So they'll see, you know, pictures of my daughter and they'll see who I am and what I do and what I've got going on. So over time, you start to, again, build the picture of somebody that's trustworthy and fun or funny, or, you know, maybe I, you know, I get somebody that is like a VP at a company I really want to talk to and they're laughing at a meme I posted, right? Like now we have something else to talk about besides just, uh, the features and benefits of the software product I'm trying to <laughs> slide in there. So again, you just you, you differentiate yourself in a couple of ways that way. You talked earlier about starting some of those processes at places where you're going from, okay, figuring out who our audience is or who our target customer is, and then building out those processes. So could you spend some time, could we spend some time talking about that? What's one of the first things that you're doing when you enter into a business where they say, all right, Tim, here's a chalkboard and a piece of chalk, man. Do what you do. So I think part of it is understanding, like, what are the problems being solved? Like, why does the product or company even exist? And like, who does it matter to? So you really need to get specific about understanding who that customer profile is, right? So for us specifically, and, you know, one of the companies long ago is like, we know that we wanted to talk to game developers that have a virtual economy in their game. And uh, it, our product generally falls along the lines of like somebody who's responsible for ad operations or monetization. So at a, at a high level, I sort of have that framework. From then, like something I might do is just to reach out to these folks and like, just get into their uh, inbox and say like, Hey, like, I don't know if this is interesting, but like, here's something we're building. Like, what do you think we should, you know, I, I start to ask some questions around like, what do you think of this? Well, I'm not, I'm not selling anything, but I'm actually looking for, for feedback or, or input. Right. In some cases, like I, I've had some friends where I'll, I'll do the same thing. Like, Hey, like, would it be valuable if, if this existed? And then you start to get feedback like, Oh, actually that sucks or and it's not important or like it would actually be cool if you guys did this. And I think starting to just use that lever to open up conversations um, would be really helpful. So like in some cases where I've started at a role where there weren't any customers, uh, it would be at a high level understanding what we're trying to solve for 
And then I would just start reaching out to people and say like, Hey, like we're building this coming soon that solves for X, Y, and Z. Like, do you find value in that? Or do you think that's interesting? Um, and then just following up, trying to be as valuable as possible. Um, and maybe re-engaging later on if, if that made sense. But again, I think it always starts with just asking questions and, and getting feedback. And then you know, if somebody finds that they, they need what you have, then, okay, cool. Now we're talking like what, what else, like, what could we be doing a better job of? Um, but I, th I think at the early set, that's, that's generally how I've taken that approach is you just got to be genuinely cur curious to, uh, figure things out. At what point throughout that process do you come back to the table and start to judge the process in terms of effectiveness, what you would change? Is that something that you revisit every month, every couple months? How does that work for you? I'd say it's it's tighter than that. It's like some the, most teams I've worked in, like we have weekly, if not like two times weekly conversations about like what's coming in, what's on the horizon, what already closed, like you know, in about, you know, an hour from now, I'm actually giving a presentation on like how my Q3 went to like, you know, 30 people in the company. So I, I get to do a deep dive on that. But like on a on a smaller level, like me and my, my gaming team, we talk about these things like every week, just like, hey, what's happening? What's not happening? What's resonating? Like who had some really good messaging that, you know, got a bunch of responses? What are people talking about? Um, even like years ago, like when, uh, you know, I wasn't where I am today. You just start to A-B test these things over, you know, if you send out 20 emails in a day, maybe you just had like a spark of creativity about something to ask customers and like, did that get responses or did your emails just go cold and like nobody got back to you? Mm -hmm. I, you just have to be diligent and be on top of that and just uh, be, be willing to test and try different things. If you have like one email template or one cold open, like guarantee it's not going to work like all, you know forever and ever you're, you're always going to have to like keep that sharp so i almost think of like that type of content is like ever evolving what worked 10 years ago didn't work five years ago and won't work now right you, you just got to change things up so I, I think being able to look back at that like as as often as possible maybe even daily weekly that's that's usually the cadence that i would uh suggest um I, i'd say it's also depends on the type of sale and the type of uh environment that you're operating in like I'm in the mobile advertising ecosystem and things change all the time, right? Like a company might get acquired or Apple or Google might come out with some sort of like new platform update. And overnight, there's like a whole new set of rules that everybody needs to adhere to, right? So like, what does that mean? How does that affect the way business is done today? So I'm in a spot, you know, for the last decade or so where you have to be agile and you have to be willing to just try new things and, and uh, ne never get too comfortable with with what's been working. Let's talk about goals and wishes as it relates to sales. How do you set realistic goals? And at what point do you start to believe your own bullshit where if you set a goal, it's really just a wish because it's just a number that probably won't be hit? Like what's, what's the right balance there? Sure. So one thing I've always kept in mind is like, whatever I'm costing the company, like how soon can I 10 X my value? Um, so let's just say like, if, you know, if you have, if you, if you have a hundred thousand dollar salary, like how soon can you get to like a million dollars in sales? Like, is that doable? Like, so that's, that's something that's always like kept in the back of my mind. How quickly can I 10 X my value? Cause if, if you can do that, like you're in a, a really good spot, but I think it just depends from, from person to person. You have to sort of look at like, the, the type of sale that you're doing and like what the average contract value is. 
and like the time to bring in a new client. So like if you have, uh, you know, for every hundred prospects you talk to, if you close five of them and you want to close 20, then you can just start doing some quick math to understand like what your pipeline needs to look to and how many people you need to have in cycle. Right. So then, you know, okay, I need to reach out to this many people today or this week to be able to get to that space to where it becomes a numbers game to where just like by law of averages, you can arrive at that goal based on uh, what you're aiming for. But then from there, like there's no shortcut to doing it. I guess sometimes there is, you can use like email sequences and different pieces of technology, but I'd say for the most part, you just have to do the work, right? It's, it's sales as a contact sport. You got to get in front of people. You got to have conversations. You got to be willing to hear no, you have to pick up the phone. Nobody's going to do it for you. So you got to be willing to put yourself out there. But I'd say, you know, very quickly, especially when like you're a few months in on something, you, you understand how real your goals are, if they're totally far-fetched or if maybe your goal needs to be higher, right? Like some people might sandbag a little bit and be like, oh man, like I don't want to like hit my goal too fast or that you're going to raise it on me next year. So there's some of that for sure too. I ran into some of that at one of the companies that I work for. And some of the guys that would be talking about forecasting would say, no, 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 no. Don't turn that contract in. It'd be like end of Q4. So we're talking like at the end of the year and they're like, no, 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 no. Hold that. Don't create too high of a bar. Hold that. So you got something coming in that's going to close in the next year. And I think that was the first time that I ever opened up my eyes to that part of the game where it's like, Oh, okay. That's some vets are doing that. That's that's interesting. I, I could see why. And but you'd never know that if you weren't in it. Yeah, and that's that's the thing about sales, right? There's there's no finish line, but your your goal is never going to be lower than it currently is. So you, <laughs> right? It's not like, hey Ben, you crushed it last year. Like now you got to bring in half as much next year. It's like no, like you're you're always <laughs> going to have to keep growing, right? But it's just are you going to be able to get there? Or are you really going to have to dig deep or yet do you have to hire more people for the team? Like, cause it's just one person can't do it. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's very tricky. Especially I'm wondering if you ever feel like you've reached, let's say you absolutely crush it in a year and then you're looking around going, I don't know how I'm going to find more customers to sell to. Like what are, how do you get creative when you feel like, I've knocked on every door. I've left every voicemail. I've shooken every hand. And how do you get creative in ways to drum up new business? Yeah, I think you know if, if you're in a position to where you can work with other teams within a company, that certainly helps. Like for instance, if if you're in sales but you also have a marketing team, like what sort of like marketing events could be thrown? Whether it's an in-person mixer or even just a webinar or maybe a, a case study about something. How how can you drum up new material? I think that's super helpful. Mm. Or uh, you know, like in, in our space, I, I also have the luxury of like a partner development team. So like, you know, there's the gaming companies and the advertisers I'm going after, but there's this whole ecosystem of other service providers that are also trying to sell to the same customers, right? Like there's maybe dozens of different companies that are all sort of uh, in the same space or might even be frenemies to some degree, but like, is there a way that we could partner or do something co-branded with somebody else or do lead sharing or, you know, Hey, let's throw a joint webinar together. And then we'll each mutually invite like our own, clients or prospects, and then we'll share those lists after, right? Like there's, there's some of that that can happen too, or just trying new messaging, you know, it's even sometimes as, as interesting as that, or uh, in some cases where you have like an account management team, like in, 
there might be some companies to where you can bring in a deal, but then once it's in, you know, you just hand it off and you got to go back out and keep hunting for new stuff. But like, what could you learn or find out from like spending a little bit more time with some current customers? Maybe you could get some referrals out of them. Right. Um, or they'd be willing to introduce you to some of, of their peer group, which is also uh, a good way to do it. I, I think some of that comes back to, are they willing to put themselves out there for you? If, you know, if you've taken care of them, then they have a good taste in their mouth, right? They, they know that, Hey, th- this person's taking care of me. I can comfortably refer them to somebody else because I, they know that they're not going to tarnish that trust. So we've talked a lot about what works in sales and what works in business. If I was going to task you with writing a book, how not to do sales, what doesn't work in sales by Tim O'Neill, what would some of those things that you would write chapters be about? I'd say definitely like improper setting of expectations. Don't say you can do something when you can't. That That's going to, don't, don't, I guess that's sort of uh, the bigger issues sales at least in my realm is you can't be short-sighted you can't like screw over a client just for the sake of yourself getting paid or or trying to you know get that last deal in for the quarter right if anything like i've i've said no to some deals along the way because i, I knew it wasn't right for the customer right like a couple of years ago I, w- I was working for a company to where our product and positioning just wasn't as good as it had been previously and I was very close to maybe inking a deal with a customer, but I knew that as soon as they ink this deal, they're going to probably find out very quickly that this isn't up to snuff. And they're going to come look at me like, Tim, you screwed me. Like, what the hell? And I was going to have somebody unhappy now, but like, you know, that person's not going away. I might run into them again. And then they're going to remember like, oh man, Tim like really screwed me over. Mm-hmm. So there's there's been a handful of cases actually where I told somebody like straight up, like, Hey, we could do this deal, but I'm going to tell you, like, it's probably not good for you. Or, you know, you probably want to go check out this other vendor instead because uh, they're actually going to be able to suit your needs. And I can make an introduction for you if you like. Um, they're like, wow, all right, cool. Um, you know, so A, I save them. And two, I'm valuable because I can actually point them in the right direction. So I'd say, like, so, some of the things not to do don't be short sighted, don't screw people over, and don't just start with yourself. Don't think, like, what's in it for me. You definitely have to, at least in my my opinion, you got to take the the other side to that and say, what's in it for them? Like, why should why should they give me their time? They're not because I've got all the time in the world for for somebody that wants to to speak with me. But I think time is, you know, it's that resource that none of us get back, right? So people are more stingy about how to spend their time these days. And you know, if they're not going to get anything in return for it, they're going to waste their time. They don't want to do that. I know personally, that's like one of my big pet peeves is wasted time. So I also want to just impart that to people like, you know, don't waste your time. Don't do things that are, aren't going to bear any fruit for you or, or, you know, that are going to potentially waste other people's time. I think that's probably the worst thing you could do. Total sidebar, speaking about all this stuff, I always thought that this isn't something that I'm too interested in pursuing, but we'll put it out there for anybody that is thinking about starting a podcast or is in one and they're thinking about how to do something that's a different route. I think, and, and maybe it exists and I just, I'm ignorant, uh, but I think it would be really, really cool if somebody did a podcast that was like engaging. It was good. and But it was about deals that either didn't work or deals that did work, just sales stories. And 
I think that would be such a thing that people who are working sales driving around would be able to relate to on an emotional level. And I think that's why it would work because we can all relate certainly to the deals that didn't work and the emotions that we go up and down on and just everything in that roller coaster. I think that would be a, I think that would be a good, uh, some sales stories. I think I always think that's been a good one. Yeah. I, I don't know if you've come across it before, Ben, but there, there's a, a pretty good one that I haven't listened to in a while, but I used to when I was like taking the train into work every day, it was it's called the Accelerate podcast. And uh, it's it's just that, right? Like this, it's this guy that's like been in sales forever. And um, he frequently has on like VPs or SDR managers or AEs. And just, they go deep into, you know, if you were hired and like, performance was here like what would you do like day one like how would you react or like what's the story you had where you had had to let a top performer go or different things like that so you definitely can hear a lot of that but yeah to your point it's fascinating stuff for for people that are in the space or that are always just curious to hear about other people's experiences there's a lot of uh, common ground yeah okay let's finish with your realist talk some of the things that uh if you were going to, again, I, I bring it back to the book thing, but let's say you're going to write a book about some of the truest things that you've found in uh, your experience here on earth about humans, about people, about life, business, struggles, anything. I'll open it up to you. What would be some of those things that you would write about? Uh, you know, one thing that comes up uh, a lot that I think about is that, you know, everybody's, everybody's struggling with something. Everybody's challenged by something. No, nobody has it entirely figured out. So I, I think um, when you are communicating with people from a place where you want to be curious and understand what somebody's going through and, and to ultimately try to be as helpful, as valuable as possible, it, it starts with you. Um, you know, taking the time and the interest to put other people before yourself. Um, that, that's something that, uh, you know, I use every day in, in sales, but also with, um, you know, family and friends as well. I think that's how you can also just foster really good relationships in general when you genuinely care and appreciate like who you're spending your time with, but you also um, just come from a place of abundance, right? Like wh- whether I'm doing well or not, doesn't mean I can't positively help out somebody else that could benefit from a way that I can impact them. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been this has been great. I feel like I just learned a million things and um, there was never any pauses in between any of this. This was just a really good free-flowing conversation and um, I, uh, I I'm I'm I've been happy to watch your family grow over the last couple of years and I'm glad that you're in a position where you're doing well and it's good to see you man I'm sad that uh, we won't be able to connect when I'm when I'm back out in the bay but I'm sure that we have social media and we have stuff like this and when I do come back again because you know the bay area is like a home to me that for sure we'll definitely get dapped up soon man yeah for sure man appreciate you thanks for taking the time and having me on it's exciting stuff absolutely all right man all right Ben thank you peace All right, guys, I hope you enjoy that episode half as much as I did because, dude, that was just, I mean, drip that into my fucking veins, man. I think what Tim brings is such an authenticity and such an openness and just, I mean, there's a reason that I asked him to come on the show. There's a reason that we've been able to stay connected for all these years. This is my guy right here, man, and this... This episode, making this episode, I mean, we were texting right before 
I'm doing the show notes and I'm trying to figure out the words to use to describe and it, and it's it's hard. It's hard sometimes to put into words just how much somebody's had an impact on you or how much you appreciate and look up to somebody. And I hope that I have found the words and done that justice because man, Tim, you know, man, you already know. And now everybody else does too, man. This is my guy. So hit him up, reach out to him and share this with anybody you think needs to hear what's in this episode. I am back next week. I am Ben Tompkins. That is Real Talk.